We've been reviewing our spiritual vocabulary in these days, words like revival, repentance. They're a bit old school, I know, but I hope you've discovered they're incredibly relevant at this point in your life. This is our spiritual vocabulary. We need to know these words. We need to be comfortable with these words. In your Bibles tonight, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and in your workbook, page 18, the message titled, The Transformed Life. Now, while you're turning, I'm curious. How many would indicate by a raised hand that you feel closer to God right now than you did at the beginning of the summit? How many would say, I feel closer to God, and I see just so many hands? Oh, that's tremendous. Now, how many of you would say this? Even though I've been saying yes to God, I know there's still at least one other area, one specific thing in my life that he wants to work on. How many would you say, I'm still a work in progress, Greg? All right, lots of hands. Thank you for your honesty. So tonight, I want to answer the question, where do I go from here? Again, you've invested. Many of you have been here for all of the services, countless hours. You've taken copious notes, and, and as indicated, you feel closer to the Lord now. We're so blessed and encouraged by that. And you're thinking, Greg, where, where do I go next? How do I continue to walk in this new freedom? How do I continue to experience this sense of intimacy, of closeness to God in this new fellowship, perhaps, that you begin to experience with others as well. So that's what's on my heart tonight, Brent's heart, as we walk you through these final messages. Our revival truth, the revived life is sustained by submitting to God's ongoing work of sanctification. That's the big word you write in that blank, sanctification. Again, another Bible word, another part of our spiritual vocabulary, what do we mean by sanctification? It's simply the process by which we're made more like Christ. The word sanctified means to be set apart. We're being set apart from sin and selfishness and the world, and we're being set apart to holiness, set apart to a life of serving God and obeying the will of God, to be set apart from sin, to be set apart to service and holiness. I think it will help you to think of your salvation in three tenses. It certainly helps me. There is a past tense to your salvation, justification. We talked about that word Tuesday night in Romans 5. And essentially, justification is the ability to say, I've been saved from the penalty of sin. Because the death and resurrection of Christ, him paying my, the price for my sin, the cost for my sin on the cross, God's forgiven me, and so I've been saved from the penalty of my sin. That's past tense. I have been saved. There's a sense, though, in which there's a future tense to your salvation. We call that glorification. It's expanded in detail in Romans chapter 8 and other places. There's going to be a day that you and I can say, I will be saved from the presence of sin. 1 John 3 says that when we see him, we'll be like him. There's going to be a day that God's going to grant me a, a new body, a resurrected party, uh, body uh, after the likeness of the Lord Jesus. And, and in that day, I will say I've been fully saved from the presence of sin. Now, I don't live in the past. I don't live in the future. I live in the present. There's our word, sanctification. This is God's present work in your life. What does sanctification look like? I'm being saved from the power of sin. 
God is loosing the grip of sin upon my life. By God's grace, I am sinning less and I'm obeying more. And that's God's present work of sanctification. So let's explore that just a moment before we jump into our text there in Ephesians 4. Understanding God's work of sanctification. God's great purpose for you is to become like Christ. Contrary to the way many of us think, God's great purpose for you is not to go to heaven. Yeah, heaven is part of the salvation package. But right here, right now, if you and I understood God's priority, it's that you and I become like the Lord Jesus. If you could see God's to-do list for Greg Simmons, at the top of God's to-do list, it would say, make Greg like my son, the Lord Jesus. One of many places we see it in Scripture. Romans 8 28, a familiar verse. We know that those, uh, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And then verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, often we yank verse 28 out of its context and we really use it in a way that God did not intend. Someone's struggling, someone's sick, someone's hurting, will kind of flippantly say, hey, the Bible says that something good is gonna come from this. There's a, a rainbow out there somewhere. Something good's gonna come from this. And that's not really what that verse is teaching. What that verse is teaching is for those of us who love God, God is committed to using anything and everything that happens to us for his glory, and our ultimate good, which is to become like Jesus. Which is to become like Jesus. That's what verse 29 is saying. To be conformed to the image of his son. God is committed to using anything and everything that touches your life. And using it to make you more like the Lord Jesus. A sculptor had just taken delivery of a huge piece of stone. And he was standing there just kind of looking at it, this huge block of stone. And he, he had an apprentice who was pretty overwhelmed by the daunting task of turning that stone into something beautiful. And so he, he said to the sculptor, what are you going to do with that block of stone? And he said, I think I see in that block of stone, I think I see a horse, a horse in full gallop. And the apprentice was awed. He said, how in the world do you get a horse out of that? He said, it's easy. I'm just going to knock off everything that doesn't look like a horse. Now, what's God doing in your life? He's knocking off. He's chipping away everything in you, everything in me that doesn't look like the Lord Jesus. Second thought here. God's work of sanctification is an ongoing process. It's an ongoing process. Now, justification saved from the penalty of sin that was an event that's an event it happened a moment in time god invaded my life my name was written in the lamb's book of life my sins were forgiven the spirit of god took up residence in my heart that's an event the glorification that's described other places in scripture that's an event when we see him we'll be like him sanctification though that's an ongoing process Here's one of several passages that illustrate that idea. 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Notice the phrasing. We are being transformed. It's a process. 
And I've taken that word transformed. That's what I'm using for the title of our message, the transformed life. God is the great transformer, and we are the subjects of his transformation process. Now, uh, taking that word from the original language, the Greek language, well, number one, it's only used a handful of times in the New Testament. This and then a couple of times in reference to Jesus. I'll tell you about those in a moment. If you were to literally translate it, it's the word that we use our word, metamorphosize. Metamorphosis. Remember that old word? Back to seventh grade biology. Uh, What was metamorphosis? Metamorphosis. It's that process by which the uh, tadpole becomes the frog. It's the process by which the ugly caterpillar becomes the beautiful butterfly. That process of transformation. Now, God takes that word and he uses it to describe his work in our lives. We're being transformed. Now, I mentioned it's also used of the Lord Jesus. You remember the story. He took three of his disciples to the top of the mountain, and there as they watched, he was transfigured. Same word that's used here. He was transformed. For a moment, God just pulled back the veil of his flesh, his humanity, to give them a glimpse, a glimpse of the unhindered, pristine glory of Christ. They say his face was shining like the sun. Even his clothes were shining brightly. And that's this picture of God at work in us. What he did in the Lord Jesus outwardly is going on inside of us. Notice we're being transformed in the same image, the scripture says, from one degree of glory to another. Now, here's a good diagnosis question for you, some of my final pesky questions. To diagnose how you're doing in your spiritual life, are you more like Christ today than you were a year ago? Are you more like Christ? Are you more kind Are you more patient? Are you more generous? Are you more pure? Are you more like Christ today than you were a year ago? That is God's will. That is that ongoing work of sanctification. All right, that mean-looking figure there on the screen, that's Brian Widner. Brian grew up in the Midwest, but early in his life, he adopted the skinhead philosophy that philosophy that's uh, uh, infatuated with uh, racism, ethnic purity, uh, that philosophy that often manifests itself in hatred and violence towards others. His friends described him as the pit bull of skinheads. He actually founded his own gang called the Vinlanders. Now, early on, he began to have his body tattooed with symbols, with emblems, again, of what was going on in his heart. Blood-soaked razors, swastikas, the letters hate stamped across his knuckles. Now, just about the time you and I would write a guy off and say that guy was unsavable, God says, I'm going to prove you wrong. And God began to warm his heart, soften his will, and he actually professed Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He did that through the influence of a woman that he met in that movement as well. They both professed faith in Christ. They both left that movement under, the, uh, under many, many death threats and moved away and were married and tried to start a new life as Christ's followers. Now, he's got a problem. 
This guy walks into your place of business and he asks for an employment application. <laughs> well, you can imagine uh, how most people were responding. And so he was getting turned down after turned down. But he said the final straw was his two-year-old daughter who had become old enough to recognize that there was something different about her father and was now being repulsed by those symbols of hatred. So he needed to do something about the tattoos. He did some research. He found there were surgeries that could remove the tattoos at a cost of $35,000. He didn't have that kind of money. He was so desperate, he went to the Internet, and he found a homemade recipe for dermal acid. And he said, I was ready to concoct this stuff and just douse my face in it. And then someone who took great pity stepped in and said, I will pay for you to have those surgeries. 25 surgeries over the course of 16 months. And as you can see, it was documented over that period of time. Now, the surgeries were so painful that at the very end, they actually had to put him completely under to complete the process of removing the tattoos. Now he and his wife actually lead a ministry helping others find the truth in Christ and escape from that kind of lifestyle. Now, I see in his physical transformation a picture of our spiritual transformation becoming more and more like Christ. This is the purpose for which God created us, that we would be his image bearers. And through salvation, we are recapturing our true spiritual destiny to the to be image bearers of our Lord Jesus. All right, you've been waiting for me in Ephesians 4. Go down to verse 20. Ephesians 4, verse 20. The apostle begins, That is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. All right, pause a moment. Paul is here describing the process of sanctification. I want to be clear. Not everything we find in Scripture conforms to a, a nice and neat three-step process, but this does. There are three distinct steps in this process of sanctification. Again, God is the great transformer, but we're not passive in this matter. There are things that we do saying yes to God, again, that postures us, puts us in that place where God's work of sanctification can be fully accomplished in our lives. Well, let's look at the first one. We read again in verse 22, put off your old self, it belongs to your former manner of life. It's corrupt through deceitful desires. So the first step is to put off. Put off. What am I putting off? Identify and repent of sinful attitudes and actions. Now, that word repent. Let me give you a, a picture of what repentance is. I'm walking in one direction. I stop. I do an about face. And I'm walking in the completely opposite direction 
direction. That's a picture of repentance. The word literally means to change one's mind, but the implication is I'm changing my thinking, and as a result, it's changing my behavior. It's changing my words. It's changing my actions. You say, Greg, I've repented. It was vacation Bible school. I was uh, seven, eight years old, and I walked down the aisle. I repented of my sin, and I gave my life to Christ. Now, here's what you need to understand about repentance. Repentance is not a one-time decision identified with your initial faith response. Repentance is a lifestyle. You and I are continually repenting. Every time God reveals something in us that's not pleasing to him, something, again, that does not conform to his image, I'm to take that and I'm to repent. I'm to turn away from that and turn again to following Christ. Now, accompanying repentance is something the Bible describes as godly grief. 2 Corinthians 7.10, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Let's unpack these for just a moment. Let's start with with worldly grief. Now, what's worldly grief? Worldly grief is when I'm sorry because I got caught. Worldly grief is when I'm sorry for my sin, but my sorrow is typically selfish. In other words, I have hurt you or I've hurt our family and it's painful to me. But again, I'm suffering in there with you. So it's purely a selfish sense of grief, not a godly sense of grief. Over the years, our family, we had several household pets, dogs, a cat, Most of us agree that our favorite was a a miniature schnauzer we had years ago named Molly. Now, Molly technically was called a miniature schnauzer, but she didn't stay miniature very long. Molly kind of got big because I had three kids that loved to feed her underneath the table, and she had an affinity for people food. Normally, when we would come home from an outing, Molly would meet us at the door, jumping up and down. She was a real people pet. She loved to, to be with us and, and uh, to see us come home. Occasionally, though, we'd open the door, no Molly. And I know why there was no Molly. Molly and I had this constant battle over the trash can in the kitchen. And I did everything. I bungee corded it to the wall. I did all this stuff. But occasionally, somehow, Molly would figure it out. We'd look in the kitchen trash was everywhere. No Molly. She was off hiding somewhere. We'd find her typically in one of the bedrooms, just kind of off in the corner there. Uh, She was hiding because she knew she was going to get fussed at. Oh, my wife was the master at this. She had this perfect tone. Oh, Molly, what did you do? Oh, Molly, You've never seen a more pitiful pup in your life. Those big old brown eyes, you would swear she'd never do it again. Wrong. (laughs) The next chance she got. Now, that's worldly grief. I'm grieving because I got caught, or I'm grieving because I'm suffering the consequences of my selfishness. By contrast, what's godly grief? I'm grieving because I have grieved the Spirit of God with my sin. We read Ephesians 4.30 on Wednesday night, do not grieve the Spirit of God. I'm grieving because my sin has grieved God. I'm grieving because the very sin that nailed Jesus to the cross 
I have flaunted. I'm grieving because my sin and selfishness has hurt the testimony of Christ in my life. Maybe even hurt the testimony of Christ in my local church. It's a selfless grief. I'm grieving because I have grieved God or I have in some way brought shame to the name of Christ. That is the difference. All right, let's look at the next one on our list. I'm to put off. Number two, I'm to be renewed. Verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. The word to renew means to literally make new. Think different. Romans 12, 2. Read it with me off the screen. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You've probably heard this illustration before. We have a word picture here. Don't be conformed to the world. It's this picture of taking clay and pushing clay into the mold. We live in a world that's hostile to God and the things of God, the culture, the values of this world, hostile to God, hostile to the Word of God, and it's constantly exerting pressure on us. We make it uncomfortable, and so the world's constantly exerting pressure. You need to conform to us. You need to fall in line. You need to all act like us and talk like us and, and live like us. So there's this constant tension. I'm to resist that conforming influence of the world. And rather, there's our word again, be transformed, metamorphosized. How? By the renewal of your mind. I have a friend now with the Lord, a well-known motivational speaker, had a great relationship with the Lord, well-known for a little phrase, he would say, too many people are afflicted with stinking thinking. Sounds like something a Texan would say, doesn't it? What is stinking thinking? We're allowing the thinking of the world to invade our minds. We're allowing our lives to be conformed to the world, and so we're acting like the world, and we're not walking in obedience to God. There must be a, a changing, a renewing of the mind. Read this one with me off the screen. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, 11. I'm always after you to connect the dots. Here's a big dot to connect. Connect, I have hidden your word in my heart and that I might not sin against you. Why have you failed in the past in your battle against temptation? Why have you made promises and recommitments and yet found yourself back in those same sinful habits over and again? Have you taken God's word seriously? Another passage that connects those dots, John 1:21. Put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I've hidden your word in my heart. I've planted your word in my heart. It's this idea that I've, I'm getting God's word inside of me. I'm beginning to think God's word. I'm beginning to think God's thoughts. See, if you're serious in this battle to overcome temptation, you start doing things to get God's word in your heart. Here's a great illustration. Uh, go online, do a little Google search. Let's say your struggle is with anger. All right, go to Google. Bible, verses, and anger. 
Bible verses on anger. Boom, you'll have website after website, all kinds of translations, Bible verses that speak directly to this issue of anger. So I print one of those out and I, I cut some of those up and I, I tape some on the bathroom mirror. So in the morning when I'm shaving, I'm looking. I'm hiding God's word in my heart. I, I, I take a one and put it in my car when I'm sitting in traffic. I'm just glancing down, hiding God's word in my heart. So you got to get serious. Now, when you came in tonight, if you didn't pick one up, you can pick one up when you leave. A little bookmark that says how to have a holy hour. Now, don't let that intimidate you. Maybe for you it's a holy half hour. That's okay. You can grow it. What we've provided for you and, and uh, a ministry crafted many, many years ago was a plan for spending time with God. See, a lot of folks, they, they say, I want to spend time with God. So they come and they play a little Bible roulette, you know, or it just opens there, jump in there. And, uh, we need to have a plan. We need to have some structure. You don't have to be bound to that, but it will help you be intentional as you begin to interact with God and spend time with God, cultivating disciplines of confession and thanksgiving praise and intercession in your life, getting God's word in your heart. How many of you have ever downloaded a piece of software on a computer or a smartphone or an iPad? How many of you have ever downloaded a piece of software before? All right, most hands are going to be raised if you have any kind of electronic device. Now, I've done it hundreds of times. You'll come to a page something like this that basically says, I have read all of the agreement regarding this piece of software, and I agree, right? And then you punch the button that says, I agree. All right, we're in church. i got to be honest. I've downloaded hundreds of pieces of software. I've never read the agreement. I just punch the button and move on. It's all in legalese anyway. I'm not going to understand it. Who knows what I've signed off on to? I wouldn't be surprised. Bill Gates is going to show up at my house one day want my firstborn son. <laughs> Who knew? I just pushed the button, you know. Now, here's my point. I know that you are a Bible people. You're blessed with Bible teaching and preaching pastors and teachers in the church. And someone comes along and they say, uh, who believes in the inspired and the inerrant word of God? And all the hands go up. But watch, the Bible is out of here. My question is, is it in here? Are you hiding God's word in your heart? Is it affecting the way you think? Is it affecting your decision making? Is your mind being transformed. All right, that brings us to the third step in the transformation process. I've put off, I've been renewed, and now I want to put on, put on. What does that look like? Well, verse 24, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Practically, it means I'm replacing sinful habits with Christ-like thoughts and behaviors. Now, again, I'm going to describe somebody's experience. You've been convicted before. You realized you needed to change. You wanted to change. Maybe it came out of a very bad decision that you made. You hurt yourself. You hurt others. You said, it's going to be different now. And you, you put it out there. I'm going to change. And it's going to be different. And it is for a short time. And then you go right back. All three steps are equally important 
to experience lasting change. And you can experience lasting change. But all three steps are important. Typically, we'll get to the first and we'll identify and initially we'll turn away. We may even get to the second and become students of God's Word. But until you replace the power of replacing. Now, he uses the same idea here in Colossians 3. You've put off the old self with its practices, and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So we have a word picture here. It's literally this word picture of changing a garment. Changing a garment. Let's say that I walked in tonight sporting this very handsome jacket. You'd say, Greg, you were really begging for a love offering, weren't you? No, no, no. Okay. So I walk in tonight. Hey, how you doing? Well, great to see you. And you're sitting there thinking, why in the world are you wearing rags? Now hear me. This is how some of you appear to the people who know you best. They see it. It's there because you're not willing to fully engage with the Lord and allow that process of transformation. So I come to the place of awareness. Oh, this is ugly. This is not right. This is not good. This is not Christ-like. This, this behavior, this attitude, this is not Christ-like. You, you come to that point and you say, Lord, I want you to change my thinking. God, I want to let your word begin to saturate my thinking. But watch, until you actually come to the point where you take it off and you replace it. See, this power of replacing becomes the missing component that has held many in bondage. After giving us the principle, the apostle begins a number of applications. Look down to verse 25. Still in Ephesians 4, look at verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now, pause. Notice Put away falsehood. Stop lying. Stop deceiving. Stop pretending everything's all right when it's not. Stop saying I'm fine when you know that you're not fine. Get an honest, honest with your spouse. Put off falsehood and in its place, speak the truth. Speak the truth. Look down to verse 28. Look at this other illustration here. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, watch. Put off stealing. Put off shoplifting. Put off not being honest about your taxes. Put off stealing. All right, I'm good now. No. In its place... Foster a heart of generosity. Rather than taking others' possessions, you're going to start giving your own to minister to others. And let me give you one more. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That little phrase, corrupting talk, it literally translates putrid talk, death words critical words, harmful words. Put off saying those things, but replace it with what? What's going to build people up? What's going to encourage people to desire holiness in their own lives? 
Turn with me to the back of your book, page 30. Now, at this point in a summit, when I say turn to the exercise in the back, immediately you start to shake uncontrollably. I get it, all right? Those exercises have, have been pretty brutal, all right? Put off, put on. One of our staff members with some time on his or her, time, uh, his or her hands did some research they found 50 specific sinful behaviors. The list is not comprehensive. But 50 specific sinful behaviors that need to be put off and then replaced with Christ-like behaviors. Put on Christ-like behaviors. So here's, here's how you take uh, uh, approach this exercise. You just, you just start down the list until something jumps off the page. Boom, that's me. Bitterness resentment, judgmental attitude, lust. You just start down the page and then boom, the Holy Spirit of God hones you in on one specific area that needs to be changed and then you camp out there. How long? As long as it takes for you to begin to experience consistent lifestyle change. Now here's our tendency from a conference like this. You've got that notebook full of notes. You're so excited. And you're going to walk out and say, I'm going to do all of this stuff. And I will say, you'll probably do none of it because it's too much. It's too much. Start with one, maybe two things. You can go back to the notebook, refresh your memory down the road. Start with one, maybe two things. Be strategic. What's going to make the most difference in my marriage? What attitude change might make the most difference in my parenting or my interaction with my friends here in the church? What would make the most observable difference? Start there. Now, behaviorists tell us, tell us that it, it takes about six weeks to break a habit and to create a new habit. You say, Greg, at this rate, I'll be working through this for years and years to come. Hey, now you're picking up. That's the work of sanctification. It's a lifelong calling. It is a lifelong pursuit. So when you have some time tonight, maybe in the morning, pull that exercise out again and just start down the list. When one jumps out to you, camp out there. As long as it takes to begin to see a consistent change. Ask for some accountability, by the way, as, as well. Hey, if you're married, maybe your spouse, or if you have a, a friend, God has really convicted me in this area, so I want you to track with me. Ask me some hard questions as we go along and see if I'm changing, see if God's power is prevailing in my life.